This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hi, me here. Since you seemingly like the podcast as you are listening to it, I, I want to tell you about a very super exciting live show we're doing in Brooklyn. On January 11th, we'll be doing a live good one at Union Hall with the extra special guest, Julie Klausner, creator and star of Difficult People, host of the How Was Your Week podcast, writer of I Don't Care About Your Band. Julie was actually the first comedy person I ever interviewed, and I've been waiting for the right time to have her on the show. Julie loves jokes, and she writes, like, jokes, you know, the the sort that take up space in an episode and and demand you live in them for a minute. We'll also have other fun stuff, like mini-interviews with up-and-coming comedians I adore about jokes they perform that night. So again, that is January 11th at Union Hall as part of the Brooklyn Podcast Festival. And welcome to Good One, the podcast in which the makers of comedy discuss how and why they make comedy. I'm your host, Vulture Senior Editor, Jesse David Fox. This is a this is a very special episode for me slash us for three, count them, three reasons. One, it is our season finale. Uh, two, it is our 50th episode. And honestly, I, I can't believe it. I can't, I can't believe so many of the comedians I respect most agreed to have the sort of conversations I've always wanted to have with them. And I can't believe people have been like, yes, of course, this is something I would like to listen to while cleaning the house or working as a photo editor or driving around suburban Cleveland. So thanks, uh, all of you, for uh, listening and supporting the show. And, and because of the first two special reasons, we have special episode reason number three, our guest, Sinbad. See, see, Sinbad was the, the first comedy show I ever went to about 20 years ago on a family trip to Las Vegas. It all can be traced back to that night. And, and and one moment has always stuck out with me. So towards the end of the show, Sinbad asks the audience if there's anything they'd like for him to talk about. Someone shouted, Iron Chef! After a pause, Sinbad made it clear he doesn't know what the hell that is. So he acted out a scene as if he was, yep, a robot chef. But that's just how Sinbad does it. Sinbad doesn't have material in the traditional sense of an hour of jokes he drags around from show to show. No, Sinbad has Sinbad. He goes up, and whatever happens is the show. For this reason, like what happened when I interviewed Jeff Garland a few seasons back, Sinbad didn't want to pick a joke to talk about like we do every episode. He doesn't have jokes. He just has Sinbad. That said, we wanted to give you a taste of what Sinbad's in-the-moment style of comedy is like in practice. So we picked a clip of Maximum Stream of Consciousness from his 1993 HBO special, Afros and Bellbottoms. In the span of nine minutes, he discusses... Kids learning about sex too early nowadays. TVs used to only have three channels. Pets, dogs, the Rottweiler from the movie Omen. The Naughty by Nature song Hey Ho and how the audience doesn't know the rest of the words. Back to pets and a really dark section about his grandmother's decrepit dog, which brings him to the deuce and a quarter, a.k.a. a Buick Electra 225. Modern cars, pee-pee boys, 70s nicknames, penny candy for literally like 10 seconds, but then he abandons that bit altogether in favor of doing crowd work with a kid who can't remember his age, and then kindergarten. It is something to behold, so hold on tight. Here's the one, the only, the one and only, Sinbad. I think kids see too much now, man. They know all about sex and stuff. We didn't know nothing about sex in the 70s. Man, 10-year-old boy didn't know about no sex. Remember, we, the, only way, the only way we learn about sex, old kids be lying to you. Man, I just had sex. Where? It was over there. I remember the first time a girl friends kissed me, I thought she was spitting on me. I said, hey, hey! 
fuck wrong with you, girl? I'm sorry. <laughs> Nasty. Then I turned 17. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> Boys was always behind the girls back in them days, man. I look now, man, even TV, there's too much TV for kids. We didn't have HBO when I was growing up. We had three channels. Maybe. Y'all remember that back in the days of three channels? That's how you knew when to go to bed. You sit there watching TV. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that time. That was your alarm clock. Nowadays, you be with that. There's another movie out. There's another movie out. I paid for cable. I ain't going to sleep. I'm watching everything on HBO this month. When you pay for it, you're going to watch it, Jack. <laughs> oh, man. We look back, man. All the, I look at now, even the pets are different. People got dogs with papers now. Like the dog smarter, because dogs don't know you got papers. A dog is a dog. Now everybody got, got them Rottweilers. Man, the first time I saw a Rottweiler was in the Omen. Nobody even heard it. You've never seen a black man. Man, because I have a Rottweiler. Yeah, you know, it was in the Omen. Yeah, the dog in the home, man. I said, I like that dog because he killed people. I like to love him and train him up. Do you have one with papers? Yeah, I had a dog with papers. When he pee, I put the paper down. That's the only papers I need on a dog. I, I want a dog pound dog. I want a dog that know he's about to die. You ever get a dog out the dog pound? He's so happy, he'd be behind the cage. Sit back. Hey, ho. <laughs> no, y'all know hey ho. What's the rest of the words? Y'all mean hey ho. 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 Hey a chihuahua with a big head, the head be dragging it. He looked every now and then, hey, hey, hey. The dog, 115 years old, got no head, just skin wrinkled up, no teeth, and three legs broke. Got one leg be dragging himself to the house. The dog trying to kill himself. Kill me! Somebody kill me! Cause my grandmother death and the phone drive the dog crazy. Pick up the phone! Pick up the phone! Oh, Jesse, no! Pick up the phone! The dog tried to kill himself last week. Threw himself down the basement steps and broke his good leg. Now he just sit on the couch. Sit there. You got to kill me, man. I can't get off the couch. The phone be ringing, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> my grandmother still got, still got a deuce and a quarter. 1975, deuce and a quarter. Can't hear driving down the street. People going, beep, beep, she, hey, check that song out. Ah, beep, beep. Ah, toot, toot. I said, Grandma, that's somebody blowing at you. My dog trying to get out the car. He got his neck on the window, trying to throw himself in traffic. 
So she rolled the window up on the dog's head. So now he got this big eye that come out like a fish eye. So he liked the wind. He's like, roll the window down. Just roll the window down. I'll stay in the car. <laughs> Y'all remember Deuce in the Quarter? That was a bad car, man. Deuce in the Quarter is the baddest car ever, man. You could put 20 people in a Deuce. It was a station wagon, sports car, Jeep, and truck. You could haul wood in a Deuce in the Quarter. You could kill five, ten people, put them in the trunk of a Deuce. Wasn't no seatbelts in a Deuce. You can't die in a Deuce. They used to put the baby in the window. Remember, you take a long trip? Put the baby in the back window. Let the baby sleep, put him up in the window. The sun would burn the baby up. They had to turn the baby over. Smoke coming off the baby. I told y'all, turn the baby over every 15 minutes. Man. You can hit a train with a deuce. Pick the baby up, put it back in the window. Let me see what I did to the train. A deuce was a car, man. <laughs> you didn't see no deer get hit by a deuce. Deer wasn't stupid back in the 70s. They'd get to the edge of the road. Hold up, hold up, hold up. My uncle got hit by a deuce last week. Killed him just like that. He didn't have a chance. Nowadays, a rabbit can hit your car, make your car blow up. I saw a Mazda hit a rabbit. Car blew up, engine fell out the car. And the rabbit got up. Say, man! Did you see me hopping in the street? You better get yourself a deuce or something. Crazy, man. <laughs> oh, man, I miss a lot of stuff about the 70s, man. I miss no, no, what everybody had in the 70s. Everybody in school, every elementary school, I don't care if you're from New York, Detroit, Tennessee, had a pee-pee boy. Boy who smelled like pee. Every school had a pee-pee boy. Just piss on himself. Couldn't get to the bathroom, just stand there. Oh, pee man! I ain't pee. I ain't pee, I'm just sweating. He touched you with that little ammonia hand. Show! And you know what's scary? Some of you women today married to XPP boy, don't even know. Don't even know, don't even have a clue. That's why you gotta check out a man's history. Go back to his old elementary school. You know Leroy Johnson? P.P. Johnson. That boy's still alive. We thought he'd pee himself to death. <laughs> oh, man. That was back in them days. Remember, everybody here was named Junebug. Every boy, Junebug! Ten kids turned around. Junebug was the name. We had some cool names. Boo Boo, T.T. I don't know why we named myself after going to the bathroom. Boo-boo, what? And Boo-boo was always a cute girl, remember? Always some fine girl, Boo-boo, what? And you know what, when you got a nickname like that growing up, you don't like it when somebody from your past, you know, show up, Boo-boo. Wait, 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 wait. I ain't Boo-boo no more. I'm Kanisha. I don't use Boo-boo no more. Oh, excuse me, Boo-boo. <laughs> Cause you get all beside yourself, man. And know what else I miss? Penny candy. Nowadays, kids, man, they got little kids here, man. Look, my man, hold you, my man. Sit right there, hold you. Oh, too late. You flunk. <laughs> Look at mother, you know how old you are, you know how I'm old. 
Don't embarrass me on the camera. See, parents get her say, you knew your age. Should be in the car. You knew your age. How many times did I tell you how old y'all? Oh, God. Oh, God. I was sleeping, I was sleeping. <laughs> you on HBO, you ain't gonna never get no college education now. Look at his brother. Your brother gonna dog you for the rest of your life. Let's watch that HBO show again. Mama! <laughs> See, nowadays, man, kids are under too much pressure, man. You gotta take a test to get in kindergarten. How, how can you not be smart enough to go to kindergarten? If you can take a nap, you in. That's all we did in kindergarten. Take a nap, eat some graham crackers. And if you was a genius, they'd let you pass them out because you could break them on the line. So I think a, a clearly a place to start, as I do with every episode, is um, I asked through a publicist uh, if there's a joke from your career that you want to focus on. Oh, wait, I first should say... I'm here with Sinbad. <laughs> we don't uh, need names. We don't need names. Yeah, people should know. Uh, I'm here with <laughs> Sinbad, the one and only. There's only one Sinbad. Well, that and that gets the pirate. So there's two. Yeah, so that was, no, there's a, but there's a lot about that now. After their name yeah, after Yeah, man. There's dogs named after me, birds. So I'm, I'm here with the comedian Sinbad, cool, not, cool. not the bird. All right. So clearly, I think a good place to start. So usually with an episode, I'll, I'll ask the comedian or through the publicist, what's a joke from your career you want to focus, focus on? Uh, and you uh, said, uh, no, you don't do comedy that way. No. Nah. Which is cool. It's funny because when I had Jeff Garland on, he also did a he also said, I don't do comedy that way. And yeah. I was like, I think the only other person I know who does it that way is Sinbad. You know what, Norris, if he was alive, Robin Williams. Robin Williams? Robin would be like that because he just, we just had train of thought and- uh, um, Jonathan Winters. So I guess the question is, so, you know, what do you do? Why do you do it the way you do it? And how did you start doing it that way? You know, if I could explain that. I mean, I think when they interviewed Jerry Seinfeld, he's very analytical about yeah. comedy, breaks it down. And it never made sense to me. Yeah. You know, I think he's the kind of guy that is that way. I'm the kind of guy, no matter what job I would have, I would have got fired. Yeah. Because I just got mental issues. Mm-hmm. And somehow that translated over to stand-up for me. I was able to take that collective, the ADHD, which nobody had a name for back in the day, yeah. and being all over the place. And when I got on stage, everything made sense. It was like everything got kind of got quiet. Yeah. And it made sense to me. So when I do, I didn't know you were supposed to write jokes. I didn't know how people did that. I look yeah. at people now, you know, what writing does, writing a script, makes me, forces me to write jokes for somebody else. Because people say, I'm going to do this 20-minute speech. and like, Oh man, you want me to write something for you? So I go, hey man, talk about riding your bike. And they're like, but what's the joke? Yeah. Because my mouth say, ride a bike. And that's how my routine comes. I go yeah. on stage and I'll start talking about riding my bike and it becomes a routine. So I I don't have any set formula. Yeah. Other than here's five subjects I might talk about. Or I'll ask the audience what we want to talk about tonight. I was picturing a show. So say, let's say you had a show in San Francisco tonight. When would you start? Would you think during the day, oh, maybe I'll talk about this? Would you like, if you went to a coffee shop, you're like, oh, a coffee shop, something's there. And then like, or you're just living your life and then right before you're going out. I don't know. I might think I'm going to talk about coffee shop, but something might happen in the coffee shop when I got there. And that'll supersede that. Yeah. Or something will spark me as I'm walking the stage or somebody will shout something out and then I'm off to the races. That, that first two or three minutes is always strange to me because I go, God, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You're just talking. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what am I talking about? As I'm walking on stage, I'm like, man, what am I talking about? And then something happens. Can you describe what that process is like when you're talking on stage, like looking for a premise? Are you just sort of just talking and then like what is the flash that fires? It's, it shows up. 
I, you know, I saw that mind mapping. When, it, you know, when people start mind mapping and they go like tree, from that tree, branch, branch, acorn. That's how my brain fires yeah. all the time. <laughs> it starts from tree and then before you know it, I got all these branches and somehow it's strange I can tie it all together. Yeah. That's why I said that the beauty of ADHD, I, I keep telling people the beauty of it is you can juggle a lot of things, but I feel sorry for kids now because they medicate them. Yeah. They make it like a disease. They talk about ADHD. Man, everybody's been bipolar and ADHD since the 70s. We've all been jacked up. Now it becomes a badge of honor. I am a freak. I, I Man, let, shut up. Just just work. Go out and play sports. Yeah. Learn an instrument. You have to learn things to control your brain. So it became an exercise. How do I fit in with other people without losing them? So you start learning how to juggle. A friend of mine, Chase Anthony, a comedian, said it's like walking down the hallway and all the doors are open and I want to walk in every room. And I got to figure out how... How do I just walk past certain doors to get to that door? But I remember it was in this door. So yeah. I run back to that door because I need it. But, oh, but I saw what was in that door. That's what my comedy is. I know what's in all the rooms. And I pick and choose when to grab those things out the room. And you're just naturally able to guide an audience who isn't necessarily thinking that way. Yeah. I guess it's a, a matter of it worked. So you didn't have to be like, I guess I have to write jokes. You're just like, this works. It did work. You know, I was like a ringmaster of the circus. Yeah. I got all these acts, circus acts coming out. And I'm the reading master. But what if the, the lion bites somebody? What if the elephant falls down? I got something else. I got people to juggle. I got yeah. people. I can I can make the audience look at what I want them to look at. When I first started comedy, it was an Air Force talent show. I thought you had to write jokes. So I, I didn't know how to write jokes. So I created this character from Devo. I put silver on my face. I had a helmet. I did this whole Devo thing. I came in last place, and I was the only one in the competition. I couldn't even beat me. They're like, this is not talent. Yeah, I, I said, Jesus, man, I, I so I only had one other category. It was MC. So I was MCing later. And I had all these little jokes I wrote. And John Salem, who was the music director, said, let me see your jokes. And he tore them up through the trash. He goes, will you just tell stories like you tell us? I said, what? Just make up stuff. And I walked out. And I was just starting to make up stuff. And so I said, I don't know what to make up. Somebody would just say something. Oh, yeah, I'll go there. And I would go out and take it and turn it into a story. So yeah. John Salem, I still say this day, made me the comedian that I am. Yeah, that one thing. Was was enough you needed? Essentially, just like a kick. I just in need the one thing. Yeah. I just need one thing. I just need like it's like on the scooters, a kick push, and then accelerate takes over. Yeah, I just need to kick push it, and I trust accelerate kick. Yeah, and your can. brain just does it. Yeah, it just does it. I, I've talked to a few improvisers before, and it's interesting because I think there's you can be a different type of mental state. You know, like yeah. I think there's some that it's sort of they're extremely present, right? They're sort of yeah. able to monitor what the crowd's going, yeah. and they're it's like you're playing chess. And then there's certain people. I know if there's, you know, this comedian Reggie Watts, he does. Music. Yeah, I know Reggie, man. Reggie, bad, man. So, like, Reggie, it's like he's not there. His brain is takes over. But I see him, and maybe it's funny because I watch him, I see him there. Yeah. Because I'm a musician also. When yeah. I play, when I, I watch him do music, his music carries him. Yeah. So, when you do music, you're not there, but you are. Music is something else. When you look at music, when I started playing music again, I hadn't played in 30 years, I started playing music again. Music was incredible because it's like Miles Davis says, learn all the chords, learn all the scales. And throw him away. Yeah. And that's what Reggie is. You, he knows all the stuff, but he throws it away. He lets his brain. But when I'm watching him, I see it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, I see. I see what he's doing. I see what he's doing. I, I, and I just love it. I think he's, he's one of the most incredible people, man, yeah. that, that just performs today. So when you're doing comedy, you're more aware. Sort of like when you're talking on stage, it's, it's trying to. I get lost sometimes. Yeah. You're just I, talking, I'm, but I, are you... I, I'm aware. I'm not. It's like I'm running down the hill 40 miles an hour. And I'm just trying to find a place to stop yeah. before I go over the cliff. And But I do see everything. I see this person laughing. I see this person doing it. I see things in the back. I see people walk in. I can tell when people were fighting before they came in. But I stick it away. I saw it, but I just I held yeah. it. So it's not like I'm where I see it. 
I'm sometimes I'm not aware I saw it. Yeah. It'll just be something in the corner of my mind. So it's like a controlled Robin Williams is controlled insanity. Yeah. I learned how not to lose my damn mind by having control. I'm not not insane. Yeah. I just control my insanity. I think most people who are locked up and mentally ill, if they can control their insanity, they can do some really cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially like you are you figured out a way to uh, safely invite people into how your brain yeah. works. But I don't, I don't feel, I don't care if it's unsafe. Yeah. See, I never look for, I'm not one of those people on stage, oh God, I want to be in a safe place. People yeah. say, oh, people, I'm some, I mean, I don't understand comics. You know, I just get on stage, I just want to be, I mean, I finally found a safe place. Man, please, the world ain't safe. Yeah. The world's not a safe place. Nobody likes you. Nobody cares about you. Sometimes not even your family. But you can make a difference by what you say on stage if you stay honest. And that's what I learned. If you keep it honest, you can say anything. Yeah. You can talk to a Trump supporter and tell them everything is wrong with Trump. As long as I keep it honest and I'm not tr- just trying to put that guy in check, I'm going to keep something honest. So you can come back honest with me w- with the bullshit that you brought, you know, it's, it's almost like when you say things on stage, do you not that you, it's honest in that you feel it or you believe what you're saying yeah. at the time. But do you care about if it's correct? Do you even think about it's correct? It's not about that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I say honest, sometimes correct. Sometimes I'm incorrect on purpose to see what you do. Yeah. See how much you really know. And I lie on stage sometimes. They're like, yes, I'm lying. Yeah. You disagree with me. I'm lying to you. So sometimes I'm just messing with people. I think we are the masters of messing with a situation. We're, we're really good at that thing, like throwing these puzzle pieces out and making a piece fit that don't really fit. And people go, like, it doesn't fit. I say, it does fit. Until someone says, you're right. Yeah. It does fit. You go, no, it doesn't fit, man. Did you see what I just did? It doesn't fit. Yeah, that doesn't make any. You're yeah. like, I, you're like, oh, I guess it doesn't make sense. You gonna like, let me get away with this crap? Why? Don't let me get away with this crap. Yeah, tell, I'm like this. Test me. Yeah, that takes me to a, a, a higher level. If you test me, I gotta be, I gotta be accountable for my stuff. Yeah, you don't want it to be. You have no desire for it to be easy. No, I don't want it easy. Easy is boring. Easy is not fun. When you're on stage, how much of yourself is there in that? Like, if you had a bad day or a sad day or something bad happened, and you're on stage. Yep. Are you in a lower key mood? Are you sad? Are you? Bring- I might bring that right on stage. Yeah. Man, you know what happened today? I'll take and it puts me in a good mood. Yeah, I can take something that really sucked today. So, oh, I'm about to take this and, and make myself happy. <laughs> forget, yeah. forget the other person. I'm about to make myself happy. I've sat with people backstage, and if my thing is this: if you talk around me, that's my routine. Don't bring stuff up about your family because now I'll be like, hey, I had a friend. Yeah. Like, man, you just my wife saw you do that. So, hey, man, you can't speak to me. If you speak to me, it belongs to me. That's the rule yeah. of comedy. If you don't want to sit on stage, don't say it around me. Yeah, especially right before you're going. Don't on. please. I imagine right before you're performing, it's like every. It's. I think they always talk about Robin Williams as sort of a sponge or like. Yeah. But, but they when, said he, they say he stole. He did not steal. He made he made your unfunny stuff funny. Yeah. You, he, he did your stuff better. It'd be different if he stole your joke and it was the same. <laughs> he joke. took your little sad joke and he made it funnier. Yeah. So he didn't steal. He heard things. I had to be careful. I'll do something. I said. Did I hear that from somewhere? Or did that come from me? Because I listen to everything. I have to rewatch. If I do a new special, I have to rewatch my other specials real quick to make sure I don't take something that I did or something. That's an interesting point because I, I was wondering that in that there'll be certain things you'll like bring up uh-huh. again, but sort of a different perspective. Yeah, because you, you grow up. Yeah. You still talk about marriage, you still talk about relationships, but you're just in a different place now. Or you'll be like, there's a couple specials we talk about hitting kids, but then sort of different perspectives. Yeah. Like later in life, you're like, Look, I'm not saying like beat up your kids, yeah. but you're just like they'll just you want them to be scared of you or something like that. They should fear you more than the police. <laughs> I know you want to be honest. You you talk about being honest on stage, or at least sort of from the special I've seen, there are the things that you focus on tend to be personal things, growing up things, or sort of everyday observations, opposed to sort of uh like 
your specials, you weren't talking about like, oh, I'm in these movies, or I'm in these TV shows. Are there certain things you try to avoid because it might lose an audience? Oh, that was in, that was in a TV show. Yeah, that like, hey, I, I'm, I, I my think, life I is think, great. I think it's boring, man. I, I, yeah. I, I, I've never seen myself as an insider. I've never been accepted by Hollywood, so I, I don't have that. I'm the man. Hollywood's never accepted me. Yeah. Even to this day, they don't, they don't get me. I don't know who I pissed off, or maybe I was too honest. <laughs> Sometimes you're too yeah. honest, but I was never the cat here. I was the cat on the road. My fans, my people that work nine to five, people that have jobs, people decide to come to my show because they want a better night. That's my audience. My audience is some creep that lives in in, in Beverly Hills and got a little studio like, we just love you, man. We just think you're comedy. Oh, I hate those dudes, man. As a person who lives in L.A., and especially like in the 90s when you were, I, a lot of your life was on set and stuff, yeah. how do you stay in touch with the sort of the people that were more like when you were starting? Those are the people I talk to. Yeah. When I'm in a hotel, I talk to people that work there. I, I When I go somewhere, I talk to people that work. When I go to a restaurant, I talk to people that work. It's working. That's what my dad was. That was I worked. I said, I'm blessed to do this because I hate working. I hate working 9 to 5. I hate. I mean, if I had to do it, I'd be good at it. But I hate working 9 to 5. I hate being told, hey, Simbae, can we talk to you for five minutes? No, I quit. I don't want to have to talk about I could be better. I don't want to do that. I don't. I hate this job. You just were able to do this and I was respond able, to it. But I lost a lot of stuff. Remember, all those jobs I lost, getting kicked out the military, all those things got me here. I don't regret anything. That's why I still go and support the troops. It was an Air Force talent show that made me who I am. I was immature. I was crazy. And I'm sorry. So I will come and I will perform for cats because I know it's like to be over there. But no, I was never a fit. But I was supposed to be there. There's, I don't think there's many coincidences in life. I don't think there's a, oh, it's not a coincidence. No, man. It was supposed to happen. Like they say, if, if, if you, the teacher will come when you're ready. If the student keeps trying to learn, the teacher will come. I always tell my daughter, do what you can, but leave room for magic. Yeah. You got to leave some room. I leave. I call it, my thing is God. I'm only here. You know, my dad was a preacher. I'm like, I'm not a preacher. I'm not trying to be, you know, a super Christian. I just have a relationship with God. He, I said, look, man, you made me this way. Yeah. So you must have some place you want to take me. And I, I have faith and I believe great things can happen. And I actually believe in love. I believe, you know what? But if you don't love, if you are racist, I will get up in your stuff. I'm like this. I ain't got time for that. I'm not going to turn the other cheek. Yeah. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me after what I did to you because I don't have time for the ugliness of life. Yeah, I mean, life. you you react. Yes, I react. That is the, the if you describe all those things, you were like, yeah. it's a, a person is reacting and when you go on stage, you're yeah. reacting and you're reacting to your, your sort of self. Yeah. Are you naturally just very good at seeing patterns and thing, or do you find yourself finding patterns in a lot of I, I, I look for patterns sometimes, and sometimes there is no pattern. People, people are looking for a pattern. So there's no pattern here, man. It just it is. Sometimes it is what it is. I heard Derek Fisher say something about the when LeBron when they when the Lakers won. He said sometimes a win is a win is a win. Just let it be. I look at ESPN. They got so many sports announcers now that everybody has to beat a game to death for a week to keep talking about the shot he didn't take. I said, dude, that moment has passed. And you guys, you sports, you great guys getting, making all this money. That's all you can talk about is the shot that didn't get made last yeah. week. Well, we, that's why great athletes forget that game and they go to the next game. That's how I look at life. I can learn from that. Let me take for that and now let me let it go. Those sort of joke jokes and running jokes aren't for you. What, you know, how do you feel about when you watch other people, when you're seeing people that are doing? I'm amazed that they can do it. I'm like, wow, that was a great joke. I wish I could have wrote that. Yeah. I was working, I was opening for Jay Leno. Uh, we just met. I was in, in, in uh, Nashville, Tennessee at Zany's. And the first night I opened for him, I was doing my thing freewheeling. He said, hey, man, if you're going to do Johnny Carson, is how many laughs do you how many laughs do you get per two minutes? Yeah. So the next night, I structured it. I did joke, laugh, joke, laugh. You know, they, they kill, joke, laugh. I felt still like, just improvising. I felt yeah. like somebody had put 
weights on me and, and chains on me. Yeah. So the next day I say, hey, Jay, how about this? What if you get one laugh and it never ends? Yeah. He said, well, I said, watch this. I went out. Bam. I did my thing. He said, man, just keep doing what you do. <laughs> did you ever do late night spots? Like that? Yeah, I did them. I did them all, man. I did all the late night spots. Um, when I did Letterman, when I did the Letterman show. When I finally got, I mean, I used to bring my tape up there. I used to bring my tape, and there was, I'm not gonna say his name, but Chump, he would say, "You'll never do the show." Yeah. I don't. I don't. Know, I don't even know why. I would leave my tape, and woman, I want you to do the show. She put my 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 tape at the top pile. He came off the elevator and removed the tape, and I said, yeah. "Dude, you know what? One day you have no choice. It won't. It's not about you. The yeah. match is gonna happen." When I finally got on Letterman. They do a thing where they do the pre-interview, and they ask you what jokes you're gonna tell. I said, I don't know. They said, Well, Letterman likes to know. I said, I. They said, Well, even Robert Williams does. I said, That's a lie. <laughs> he might tell you one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he said, Well, I don't know what we're gonna do. And I put my coat on. I said, I can't miss what I never had. Yeah. I had my family with me, and my brother says, I'm walking out. They go, What? I'm walking out. And my brother, who's my manager at the time, just gave him a bunch of jokes, fake jokes. And I got mad at my. I said, Man, don't ever do that again. He goes, Please, just. He knows I'm crazy. Please, please for me, please. So I did the show. He asked me one one of the things I did, and I just went different directions. Yeah. And I guess sometimes you don't trust that a comedy be funny. We have so much fun. He said, "Man, we got to do this again." When you you're saying in the Jay Leno story that the idea of one you just go out and it's one laugh the entire time. Yeah. Are you when you think about an hour of time? Do you do you, is it full speed ahead the entire time? Do you want to full speed ahead? You don't have full like ahead, man. thirty minutes in and you're not like no. Building. I, I remember one, one time I was on stage performing and a woman said, "You have to stop. I had to get air." So I sat down for five minutes and just had a conversation with people. Because she said, look, I'm, I can't get air. She had asthma. Yeah. I said, okay, go ahead and get your air. And I just spoke to people. Are you okay? And I got started up again. But those are moments I love. I love the moments that are real like that. You know, I, I, I just, I, you know what? I haven't done any of the new talk shows. Not Kimmel, not none of, none of them. Have, I think it's a new day. And I, if you haven't seen me live, even see me on, on, on a stand-up special, it's not watching me live. Watch me live. I do two and a half hours, three hours. Watch me live is like, ooh, God. It's like watching a band. It's like having an Earth, Wind & Fire album, but watching Earth, Wind & Fire. You're like, I'm going to buy that album again. I heard stuff I didn't. You think it's some stuff on the album you just yeah. missed. That's what I want. I want when you see me live, you got something you didn't get from watching my special. Yeah, and there's also live what you're, you're, what you're doing is a live thing because you're, yeah. you're, you're, everyone's reacting to the same thing. It's energy, man. Look, we give out life force. When you're somewhere live, boom, you, you sometimes sit in the parking lot after a great concert. You go, man, that song... And you and you can't get you try to explain to somebody like I really can't explain it. You need to go see the concert. Yeah, that's why you tell friends. Everybody tries to take the phone up now and Instagram everything. I said, why don't you just watch it? It wasn't for them. They didn't come. Yeah. Now people say, make sure you make sure you put us some. I'm not sending you anything. <laughs> you should have bought some tickets. Yeah. That's what life is about. Yeah. Prince one time was on stage and you know, he used to really be freaky about letting you. Now he lets you tape, but he said, okay guys, you had enough time in front of the little screen. Why don't you look at the big stage? He said, because you might miss the bass player. You might miss this. And people put their phones down. These young people, and they saw a concert for the first time. There's uh, those companies now that you can lock up people's phones. Oh, yeah. Dude, they did to me. Um, Dave Chappelle had just been in a comedy club I was at. And they passed this little bag around. I have a key that unlocks those bags. You can buy those. Yeah. A little, I said, look, man, please unlock those bags. I said, I don't care if you tape this. I'll write some new stuff. I don't care. Yeah. I said, because if you'd rather be on the phone than watching me, I'm not doing something right. Yeah. So, you want to make it, if the phone's more interesting, then you're the not. Mo- not if the phone's more interesting, I might say, hey, man, take this picture and send. I'll tell you, hey, get, get, get this picture. I want you to send this out. I want you to show that me. I'm fighting with somebody in the audience. This is going to make me go viral. I actually was in Denver. I said, look like, I said, man, I want you to look, you're heckling me, and I'm fighting you. I said, I want you to get it and make it go viral. And it hit. 
it hit. And then, it, and then the other yeah. people said, man, he was messing around because somebody had the tape where I said, fight me. Yeah. So they put that up. I said, we can control everything now. Yeah. With social media, you can control anything you want to control. So though, though you don't have jokes per se, especially when you're preparing for specials or you know a special's coming, are you, is you have something close to material in that like, if you say something, do you remember? I, I remember it sometimes. Yeah. I, I remember or something will spark it to remember it. Or before a special, I'll have people go like, or in Maria, I works with say, make sure you talk about this. I have people say, please talk about this. I say, okay, T- talk about that one. Okay, but this is what happens. A lot of people get ready to say, a Chris Rock, somebody get ready to do a special. They haven't done stand-up in a while. They go on the road to get ready for a special. I've never been off the road yeah. since 84. So I'm always ready for a special. But the problem is, when it's time to take a special, I said, I just did that. So the people that seen me, yeah. if I do a special, I got to do something they haven't seen. Yeah. And I know they said, well, there's more people who's going to watch the special than the ones that seen you, but that's cheating the people that saw you. It's the exact opposite of how every other comedian would think it, because everyone would be like, oh, they saw it, but who cares? This is for the people who haven't seen it. But you're yeah. like, well, the people who have seen it, I, I don't need want- give them some. I got to give them some. No. Yeah. I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, if you listen to every conversation I had with a friend over the last six months, uh-huh. a few similar things would just come up. Yeah. So I imagine it's the same thing if you watch you 50 times. Yeah. It's not like you're going up like, oh, I need to talk about losing weight for 20 minutes like you do on- Or it might just change. <sighs> yeah. We might talk about losing weight, but something happened different. Okay, um, right right now what, what, what we're going through, us, I, I, I tell people, tell me, okay, Maria knows, I do a thing, I say, women, what do you hate about men? You know, it's 20 things. I can't get them to give me something new. It's the same 20 things. I think we'll make a list. Don't ask me about these. <laughs> There's 20 things that piss off every woman about their men. Yeah. I said, what about your man that bothers you? It's gotten to the point, it's boring to me. So I try to make up new answers. They say the same 20, 25 things. And we, then you'll talk about it. Hey, these are the same twenty things. I, I tell them, I say, you know what? You you guys are just so. I see so that you think you're being unique. You're all asking the same questions. Yeah. Every place I go to, the same things piss y'all off. So maybe the problem is this: it's not us. Maybe I got to figure out these twenty things before you get married to us. So I'm thinking about putting out a pamphlet. These are the twenty things about men that you can't fix. Yeah. See, that's like an idea. Yeah, other, just let it other go. comedians be like, oh, that's a special. Then yeah. you feel like for two, that's too plant. For me, more than a special not be, that's just a fun YouTube thing. Yeah. That's a that's a fun podcast. You know, that's that's something I would just get out of my system. But I don't want I wouldn't want to do a special. These are the of course you're right. You can just say these these are the twenty things women hate. I said, Yeah, you can call that a special, but Jesus, yeah. that'd be boring. The other question I wanted about the specials in per se, because yep. it's a public platform. Are you like, oh, I should address certain things that happened culturally or whatever? You I know? trust what I believe in. Yeah. I address culturally. I don't try to figure out the culture. If it's something that affects me that I believe in, I talk about it. Some people say, you talk about politics. Who's not political now? Yeah. It's not even called politics anymore. We're all trapped in a world that's called life. It, we, we got a, a dumb man running this country, and we all got to figure out. I mean, he's mentally ill. We know that. Everybody knows it. You know it. Everybody knows it. People that voted <laughs> for him, they've had reports. You know he's mentally ill. He uses eight words. Yeah. Eight words. That's a mentally ill man. Whatever he's going through, I don't know what it is, but he runs our country. So no matter what happens at the end of this run, he won. You know, like it's like having Britney Spears be the number one pop star. No matter what happens at the end of the day, at one point, she was the number one singer. She represents an era as the best that we had. Yeah. So I come from the age of funk. Man, we, there's no fake up in that funk. So there are people who will go down in history as the most records sold, the most books sold, that was really some dumbness. Mm-hmm. 
This is a strange time, man. This is str- that's why everybody wants to be an influence now. I don't want to be. I don't want a job. I want to influence people. I want to talk about makeup, but I'm not even a makeup person. Yeah. I, I'm gonna tell you how to put lipstick on. But I bought lipstick just like you bought it, and now they got four million followers like this. Oh my God, the way she works lipstick. It's just I really think someone's talking to me, but maybe the key is someone's talking to him instead of Adam. Yeah. Maybe what the commercials couldn't do, these regular yeah. people are just talking to him. Hey, I just want to take a moment for everyone to catch their breath and to tell you about this. An ad! As everyone knows, I like my underwear like I like my hamburgers. Mac, you know, like Big Mac. Well done. Mac Weldon. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm saying Mac Weldon. Uh, so, so Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Truly, it is so easy, you know. Sometimes I feel like because underwear isn't usually seen in public, your big stores, you know which, feel like they must hide it in a deep corner lit by like one swinging filament light bulb and it's like wet for some reason. But on MacWeldon.com, everything is laid out so cleanly and clearly on this freaking site. I'm seriously like shopping while I record this. Okay, what to get, what to get. Of course, underwear, but I am not going to talk about that because it's private. I also want to get a couple t-shirts to play basketball in because I feel deeply embarrassed every time I wear my State Farm Insurance t-shirt I got in college years ago. Okay, ooh, I'm going to get one of these silver shirts that, like their silver underwear, are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Bye, smelly microbes. Coronado Blue. Um, yes. Okay, what else? Mm, since I now only wear crew neck sweatshirts, let me get one of those in Total Eclipse Blue. Very cool name, very cool color. Lastly, um, let me get one of these Tech Cashmere beanies. In yup, you guessed it, Total Eclipse Blue. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, beanies, sweatpants, and so on and so on that you'll ever wear. Okay, okay, checking out. All right, uh, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code GOODONE at checkout. That is G-O-O-D-O-N-E, GOODONE at checkout. MacWeldon wants you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. So again, for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code GOODONE at checkout. Now back to me. So are you are you talking about Trump almost every show at this point? Because I do, a- but you know, I, I won't lay, I won't stay there long because he doesn't deserve my time. Yeah, why should he's still he's crazy? I'm not gonna get this crazy that much time. I'll touch on it. I'll say what I got to say about it, and then I'm out. I was listening to Nothing But Funk, and you mm-hmm. you say every HBO special I pick an issue to deal with. I've dealt with the weaves. I've dealt with the big butts and bathing suits. I have to deal with ashy dark folks putting on suntan lotion. We must come back to our senses, people. Was that you just riffing them? No, out, or you I was. I was. I do a funk festival in the Caribbean. Yeah. And I saw black folks out there. I said, "Are you putting lotion on?" <laughs> and dude, they were. They, I said, "What are you protecting, bro? You got that melanin. Is, I mean, you have a light skin, yeah. But what are you? Are you burning up? Do you feel the heat?" So there, throughout there in the specials, there are some things that are planned in so much as like in brain damage. You, you have a joke about your mom screaming, and there's sort of effect. I heard a sound come out of her that I had never heard before. Lord Jesus Christ, please let me Know that came from? Yeah. Um, I went on tour with, um, they used to be in the Midnight Star, but then the, Call- the Callaways. Yeah. That song won't be which. We were supposed to do a tour together. I said, okay, cool, man. It was the first time my agency you know, booked a tour together. 
Well, in the middle of the tour, the record label pulled the money and they were gone. All my stuff was locked up on the tour bus. I had all this cool stuff because I'm going with a band. Yeah. So I went back to being a comic again, and they said, somebody, we hate that we locked your stuff up, but we didn't get paid. So I paid everybody. I paid them for stuff I wasn't even supposed to pay for. But there was an engineer there from Florida who just had a son. And uh, he said, Bad, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, why don't you come with me? And I made him the engineer. We had a special effects box. I would do certain things. I love oh, yeah. technology. I'm a, I love it. One night, I said, don't you run for me? And he put the special effect on. I thought it was me. And in the middle of me doing it, I said, I'm not that damn good. <laughs> and this weird voice came out. And afterwards, he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, man, do that every night. Yeah. I said, do that. It was so cool because I thought it was me. Yeah. I said, when did I get this voice? And then I said, wait a minute. That wasn't me. Yeah. I said, dude, anytime you can find something cool like that. Because I was going to have like MIDI buttons on me so I could control sound effect. But it's not the same. When you push the button yourself, they, like see, Michael it Mitt, they see it happening. I wanted it to be just organic thing to happen. And he made it happen. So by him being on the road with me, he watched me. And he picked a moment. Yeah, because it's like that That story was a thing that you were bringing up yeah. when you were bringing it up. Yeah. So when you were doing the specials, were you sort of like, well, we'll see what this show that is. Special, that special was... HBO believed comics need to do two shows to get one show. Yeah. Each of those shows was two hours long. Um, Carolyn Strauss was at HBO at that time, yeah. and, and she said, Jesus. She left after the first show. Good luck editing this. Man, we did some stuff on Madonna. Madonna loves your song. We did a thing on Vogue with flowers in her hair. Dude, this dude. So you I can't find it. It's not in the vault. I can't yeah. find it. Yeah. I can't find it in the HBO vault. But it was like four hours of material with the dancing. Well, the first night, the first show we did, you see we're doing the music? The audience jumped on stage. Luckily, my director made me pre-tape. I said, man, I want to pre-tape the dance. He said, please. Every once in a while, you can talk me into it. I said, okay. I said, man, thank God you caught that. I was laughing so hard. They're on stage dancing with us, these drunk college students. And everybody's like, I said, dude, that was great. I'm glad we got, we already got the routine. So it's going to look good. When these people come running out the audience, we'll edit it. Yeah. Because it was real, but it's just in a different way. So that show was crazy with all the stuff that happened. Yeah. And the crazy part about it, man, is right after that special, right after I shot that special, I go to uh, Florida State. I'm getting ready to do this black college tour. That HBO special came out. I said, can I do stuff from the special? As I'm walking to the stage, somebody shouted, don't do that shit we just saw. <laughs> I said, well, I guess we need a new hour. So that, and that was the thing where it's like, you keep, they, you're like, I can't, I'm not going to be a comedian who's just sort of touring on the same bit. Like no, you're constantly with people. Well, I didn't know if I could do it. Just, just the special had just come out, and there was some cool stuff in that special. Yeah. As I'm walking to the stage, that dude answered my question. I basically just said, "I wonder if I should do anything from the special, man. Don't do that shit we just saw, man. Do some new stuff." Yeah. Which is really they don't understand. It's unheard of. You don't really get to write a brand new two hours, and I just did two hours that night. When you say write, it's mm-hmm. essentially like you just keep on doing it, and then yeah. you're like, after a while, you don't even know that you're doing, but you're like, oh, I guess I wrote this thing about. Uh, my my mom was like scarier than my dad. Yeah. and then you're like, oh, you have this bit, so you know you it's there. It's it like, kept, no, it just kept growing. Been, yeah, no, it was was my mother. Used to, I said I used to run from my mother. That was the bit. I let it go. Then one night I added to it. I let it go. Then one night, that's what happened. With my stuff it just grew into a story. Yeah, and I said, don't you run from me? He threw that special effect on it. I will use that. I thought that was, I used to think that was cheating to use something twice. And I had all these people like this, dude. It's so. People miss that joke. You, I said, what? They want to see that, man. You did it in that city, and somebody called and said, did he do this joke about shopping? No. So people are like, man, we, can you just redo some of the stuff? I said, 
all right, but I'll make sure I put some other stuff around it. Yeah. So that's how things And move. it'll come up when it comes up. Like, ultimately, yeah. you're there, and you know you have it, and if something jogs, like, yeah. you're like, said that, like, oh, my mom would always say this. Like, oh, my mom, like, yeah. I have this story about me. Sort of, you just have these things. You have, like, a, it's, it's, it's your a, brain it's has here, a bag. And but I make point. sure I'm going to do it different. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it different than what I did it last time. So the when set you, be different yeah. or whatever. It's almost like you're retelling this. When yeah. you're telling the story, you're retelling the story. You're not yeah. going through the beats. Of I'm it. not going through the beats. I have no beats on it. It's like, okay, you asked me um, favorite. I don't have a favorite joke. I had a favorite moment in, yeah. in um, my first special brain damage. My dad's in the audience. My mom's in the audience. And when I became, like, before I came to come on, like, I was, dude, I was, my dad said, man, what are you doing with your life? I said, man, I'm going to buy you a house. So I did this college tour and I started sending checks on him. He goes, man, are they paying you this? I said, I told you. I said, I'm not just good. I'm one of the best. Yeah. So my dad got fascinated. He got fascinated yeah. with this whole comedy thing. He would go to all my shows. and He became, look, they love my, my dad was a man. People love my dad when they met him more than me. But he told me a joke when I was a kid about, you know. My father told me a joke. It's about in college, about a boy writing in college. As a boy went to college, you know, you go to college, you think you're growing, it's going to be happening to you. And he would write them long letters to his father, you know, Dad, I'm having a great time in college, man, everything's going cool. Or, Could you send me some money? Well, after a couple years, he just, hey, no money, no fun, your son. <laughs> and his dad wrote back, too bad, so sad, yo dad. <laughs> yo, thank you very much. Peace. I ended with that joke as a tribute to my dad. And that's when I found out what Hollywood was about. Do you know that special was the highest rated special on, on HBO? I think three of my specials were the highest rated they ever had, but they never talked about it because they were clean and their whole thing was we're not TV. Yeah, yeah. When I did that joke, after all that stuff you saw, critics said, he's doing old recycled <laughs> jokes. I said, I'm never going to fit here. Yeah. He didn't even get the moment. He didn't even get what that was about. Yeah. So I said, I don't care about them. Matter of fact, I hate them. Matter of fact, I don't want them at my shows. I've had critics do uh, uh, do a critique of my show. I said, he wasn't there. I didn't do that. Yeah. And I called him, you weren't even at my show, did you? You sent somebody. And I'm going to tell you, that person that you sent didn't go because I didn't do that. He goes, what? I said, he just remembered something from something else I did. Yeah, yeah. I, he must have thought I was going to redo it. Yeah, because they just they saw a show yeah. and assumed yeah. all shows were going to be the show. Yeah. And then that's not how you He do did it. a critique of another show I'd done. So like the same thing like... Um, uh, in, in afros and bell-bottoms. I remember them curfews, and the curfew was so messed up, man, because you couldn't sneak in the house back then. Because we were wearing them stacked shoes, remember that? How you gonna sneak? Wait, hold on, let me show you what I'm talking about. You can't wear sneak in on house wearing those shoes like this. Alan, give me some of that 70s music. then you put on the shoes. So obviously, yeah. at some point, you knew you were going to do that. You know, I had some, I had some shoes in the house. I found them right for the special. I found those shoes. I said, I'm bringing these. Yeah. So I had never done it with the shoes before. I said, that one, I said, the visuals, I'll do it like the pimp coat coming down the steps. Man, they didn't know. I said, look, I told Debbie Allen was directing. It was done live. I think only Howard Mandela and myself had done actually live. And... Um, I said, I said, Debbie, I'm going to wear this pimp coat and I'm going to come down the steps wearing this pimp coat. And I was going to do a thing where I fall, where I step on a pimp coat. Because in rehearsal, I fell. She goes, please do not do that tonight because if you die before you get to the bottom of the steps, we have no special. <laughs> so it was just fun giving them, sometimes the visual is fun. Like, now yeah. I like setting things up, like the morphing at the, at the front. I love the theatrics of it. I love creating spaces like that because to me, that's, that's the acting part. So when I show them the shoes, I get to show you something. So... It's you have a sense of things that you might be talking about. There are certain themes that sort of will merge through all your specials. 
are there definitely things you know you want to hit when you do a thing? You know, like you'll talk about dating. You'll often talk about how kids and how young people are yep. not cool. Or wait, wait, no, the older you get, I think what happens is a theme in our head. Yeah. The older I get, the more I'm blown away. I'm just blown away by what I see. I'm, I'm, my mouth is open. When I when I listen sometimes, say, okay, I just bought a scooter. The little scooters that everybody goes around on. I got a scooter. I said, I'm amazed at these kids on scooters with their phones and being oblivious to the world. And they drive like a car won't hit them. They just, and like it, like it belongs to them. Like, I have my right to have this scooter on the road. I'm like, and I have a right to kill you. That's the way I see it. You, you're smaller than me, man. If you can't pick it out, figure that out, and I think I'm helping you. If I bump you, if I just hit you a little bit, I've taught you something. What do you want the audience to get out of a show beyond sort of laughing but like do you want them to take away think don't don't accept status quo don't accept anybody but know what i really want people to get all the people there that don't fit it's not over all of you that think your time is up all of you that think i can't go back you can always go back you can always i I in some of my shows like this this is the best i can be with my father whooping me and getting a good education this is the best i can be so don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your friends that might be a little bit different. But at the end of the day, I want you leaving whatever was bothering you beforehand. Maybe it's not that deep. Maybe it's just not that deep. Yeah, it's, you want to give yourself an example of yeah. like, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm doing, doing this. it my way. Hey, man, I, my car got repossessed. I had two cars repossessed. Hey, man, I owe the IRS money. Sometimes you get behind because you take care of everything. You take care of everybody. So what you do is like you put you last. And you realize sometimes you can't put yourself last. Sometimes you got to put yourself first. We've not taught that it's okay to be selfish people. But you know what? We look at selfish people and go like, damn, they got a pretty good scam going. They always got a little money. They always got something to buy themselves something. And we go, oh, man, he's so selfish. Said, really? Wait a minute. Let's, let's relook at this. Maybe he's not selfish. Maybe he's smart. He's getting he's because he's what he wants not to do broke. Yeah. He's driving the car we want. So now, are we jealous? Are we are we talking out of jealousy or anger? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're talking out of jealousy. We'll see a guy with a nice car, but what happens? Michael J. Fox said, "I used to hate that guy that would go past me in his uh, his Mercedes and go let me look at that asshole." He goes, and then one day he said, "I was driving down the street and I saw a reflection of me in my car." He goes, "I'm the asshole I used to hate." There's a there's a few things I've heard that people are like oh uh, comedians are like musicians but they what their their instrument is the audience they're playing the audience or I think Jerry Seinfeld would be like a comedian is having a conversation with the audience but only the comedian is talking you will talk to your audience what no. is your how do you feel it what do you feel is the sort of uh, dynamic we are not musicians are, are special because I do music that's on another level I do a thing called funkity I mix funk and comedy. When pe- some people were having a hard time, if you think if you just try to go pure music, they go like, what's he doing? So I still clown. I created an alter ego called Memphis Red, and I'm talking talking mess while we're playing music. So I'm mixing the funk and the talking mess. And since sometimes I just jump in somebody's band and be like, he ain't playing. They're looking for who, who's playing for me. That's when it's fun. That's when music, music, remember music trumps everything. Everybody wants to be a musician. We all want to be Prince, bro. We all want to be Stevie Wonder. Steve Wonder might want to tell some jokes, and he probably can. Yeah. And Prince was funny. I said, man, that's terrible when a guy got that much talent. And he can be funny? Not fair. But for us, music puts you back to where you were. You hear a song. I was in school. I did this and that. Comedy sometimes is temporary. Yeah. Sometimes it's temporary. Sometimes you do remember it. Sometimes it re-sparks. Sometimes it heals. Sometimes you hear it at the right time. 
Music, you can play that same song over and over. Comedy, you got to get away from it again and then watch the special. Get away from it again. You can put a song on, on a loop and just listen to the same song five, six, seven times in a row because something about that song moves you. So it, music is also a conversation with the audience. Yeah, Music is a conversation. And they are speaking because they are screaming. They're going like, oh, my God, that's my song. That's a conversation. Do you feel like your comedy is then a conversation? Like, do you feel like you're talking to them? I mean, I, you'll let them I call talk it, back. We're interacting. Yeah. Which is, I look, it's a conversation, but it's more than, we're interacting. I need you. It's like, if you're playing basketball and there's no fans there, you can really play hard. It's like playing three on three outside. You can still play it. Like, um, there's an um, article that just came out about the top Netflix specials and how to brag them, how they had one special where there was nobody in the audience. Oh, yeah, there's yeah, the they, H- they said, yeah, do Drew, you, Drew, yeah. Drew, Drew Michael yeah, had a special you, for yeah, HBO. Do you, do you need, they said, you need an audience to truly be funny. That means you must be scared to death that you don't have a joke. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to put myself out there. There's this new comic. This is new film about comics. Do we really need to be validated? Man, either you're funny or not. I mean, if you're not yeah. a funny, stop. Just stop. Half the fun is the audience, man. Yeah, I want my audience to there. I want. One, one female comic said, I get titles old special where they show a camera shot to show the audience to prove they're laughing. It's not to prove they're laughing. It's like watching, watching Woodstock. I want to see Jimmy play and I want to see people jumping in the mud. Yeah. I want to see both. Yeah. Because now when I'm watching it, I get excited. Yeah. You want to cap, I mean, for you, it's like you want to capture that this evening happened beyond well, yeah. sort of like oh, this guess. material happened. Why the hell are you doing comedy? Yeah. Why are you on stage? Wait, you just better than other people? You just, oh, I'm so deep. I'm so deep. Oh, my God. Look, I'm so deep. No one gets me. Then why don't you go sit in the park bench by yourself and talk some pigeons, man? <laughs> do you get hecklers? Do you care about hecklers? I love hecklers. Yeah, I assumed you were going to say I'm, that. <laughs> I'm, I don't think I've ever had a heckler thrown out. To me, that's a conversation. That's not a heckle. Yeah. What like? Do you have an example of one that you turned into what you felt was better off? Oh, I've turned them in. I've turned them into friends. I've taken hecklers, man. Or what they do, they just stop. One guy said, okay, okay, I quit. Because you know what? Or if they get me, if it's a good one, because they've been waiting all night to get you, man. This guy might have been waiting all year. Here's his one joke. And I got to tell comics, if a man or woman gets you, let them have it. The crowd loves it. Let them get you. Like, all right, man, that was a good one. <laughs> his, that's his victory. Yeah. He goes home with his victory. And you know what? You, got, you, you prove that you don't have thin skin. Because if I'm dogging everybody else out here, who do I think I am that you can't hit me back? There's nothing sadder than watch a comic get mad at a good heckle. Yeah, because you're like, I thought we yeah, were in the yeah, now, yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. you're like, dude, that looked weak. I, I feel like I've heard you say you've never bombed, but, you know, every comedian has a show. You're like, this clicked or this didn't. You know, what for you is a, a good show or a great show? What are these special shows? I've had, I've had shows where, like, I tell you, the audience, give you, they give you the most they have. And there was a show early on. You know you, you're working hard. You know, you, you're back in the beginning, you have, like, certain jokes you're in with. If you got to pull that joke up in the first three minutes, and all you get is this, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long night. This is, but I learned to trust. I had one of those nights, and they were just sitting there, and they were laughing, and they tittering. And I walked off stage, and this person said, that's the, f- that's the best comedy I've ever seen. I said, what? And I found out, oh, they, that's all they had. Yeah. So I've learned, I almost, gave, I almost said to them, you know what, I'll just leave. I almost walked away, and I said, okay, all right, that's the best. So I'll never stop. If I'm on stage, I'll never Stop! I'll just keep moving like you're having a great time. Well, then what is a what's a good one? What's a, like what is the ones that you were like? Oh, that um, really? Yeah. There, there are nights where you, I I leave euphoric. I leave. We had a good night just in L.A. at the at the Saban Theater. It was like it was a two and a half hour. Show. I kept saying, "Okay, that's enough. I'm gonna stop." But something else would come up. Okay, I'm gonna stop. And something else would came up and just 
it's one of those nights you wish, oh my God, I wish I could take that show with me. Yeah. And you you want to you want to make it happen again. I think there is one show that stands out in my mind, Tierra Verde, Florida. I just got started '84, '84 before Star Search '84, and uh, I lost it. I was I, it, the show was just going, the show was just going, it just was just going, and I I went too far. I went too far. I was talking to a couple. It it went so far. It went so far that the guy walked out from his girl. Really. And when he left, I said, "Well." Are you better off? She goes, I think I am. I said, okay, let's restart the show. I, I, it was an hour and a half in. I said, let's restart the show without him. And it's like, like he was never with us. Yeah. And I walked off stage and came back on stage. I said, is there a man that finds her attractive that would hit her on a club? Guys, this guy's like, I would. He ends up sitting with her. And they act like, I said, I need y'all to be a couple for the show. And I asked them questions about how long they've been dating. Yeah, yeah. And they go, we just start, we just met. And I went for another hour and a half. And... 10, 15 years after that, they were married. They came to one of my shows. You know, no way. I married that guy. He said, you got rid of the jerk I was with. And the guy that came out to the audience was a guy that had been watching me for two years. And he said he wouldn't date me because I was dating this other guy. And I said, Jesus, man, that that's when you go with comedy. That was a night. And and my friend Rick, who lived in Florida, said, dude, that night, that night, dude, I don't even know what that was. I said, I don't either. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't go, I couldn't go back and get it. I, I couldn't redo that night. It was just an insane night where I went too far. But what really is too far? I was just telling truth. Yeah. And I said, why are you really with him? She goes, I don't know. He goes, really? Really? <laughs> and the audience started hating him. <laughs> and he got up and left. I said, now you can chase him or we can start all over again and yeah. try without him. She goes, okay, let's try. <laughs> I said, we'll get you right home. Yeah. You'll this, get you right home. This guy sat with her. And they end up, they actually become a cute couple for the night. How do you know when a show's over? It feels like if you keep on going, when do you? What do you? When you're like, I think it's we're, we're when right. I when I see them worn out. She'll tell you. I just I see them. I see people fall asleep. I see them in the front row. I said, Are you done? Some I just gotta go home. I'm having fun. I just really, I'm really so tired. How uh, you know you've been doing comedy for a while now? How are you better now than you were? I don't feel the need to be funny. I don't, and that only comes with time. I, I tell young comics, you won't get there first. It, it's to the point I know I'm funny. I know I got something to say. I know it's like Prince has that thing. He wants, I know I'm, I'm about to wear you. Prince got that thing like I'm about to put it on you without even saying that. It's now at this place, I trust me. I don't need to be on. I don't need to have, I don't need to get that big laugh in the first minute, but I still like it. <laughs> um, I, I know I'm okay. Yeah. It's that place you get when you go like, like what they said at ten thousand hours. Yeah, I'm good at this. Yeah, you realize I'm good at this. I was re-listening to your interview you did with Mark Maron a few years ago, and you said you had one last run in you, but you're still doing comedy now. What did you mean by that? What, how are you feeling about I, I that think, idea? I think what it is, there is some point we gotta let young people take this. The problem is I ain't seen nobody can take my clown. <laughs> and I'm just being. Paul, you know what said that? From the Beatles, man. He said, "When you gonna quit?" He goes, "Well, I keep looking, and I'm not seeing anybody to take it yet." Yeah. So for me, I got one. I think I got. I think I have one more run where I can be the main cat. After that, I'm gonna be the old guy. Yeah. Who's like, "Oh, that used to be Sinbad." I have one more run where I can spank somebody. I got one more run. I told these young comics, if the only thing you got over me is youth, I'm going back to the gym. So I, I tell them, "Ria, I'm about to get cut up." Yeah. Dude, if this the only thing I tell young dudes, if this the only advantage you have is looking young, I said. I'm about to take that from you. I'm going to take that. And the difference is not their fault. 
I'm so much calmer than you. Because at your age, you're trying, you're trying so hard to be sexy. I don't care about being sexy. Forget that mess. That's how you lose a house, being too sexy, <laughs> acting stupid. <laughs> uh, so that sound means it's time for our final segment, which is uh, the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's comedy, it's a okay. laughing round. So you had that joke from your dad. Are there any other sort of street jokes that you just sort of know, like joke jokes? No, you know what? George Wallace. You never want to get in a joke competition with him. You never want to do dozens with him. He knows probably a thousand, two thousand jokes. I mean, when I go places, you know any jokes? I love listening to people that know jokes. Yeah. I'm the worst. I can't memorize them. I mess them up. I mess up the punchlines. They're like, you're the worst joke teller. I am the worst joke teller. But I'm a good liar. I will beat you at storytelling. We used to do a thing, everybody tell the best lie. And we would talk about moments at work and stuff. Who got the best lie? Yeah. And we would sit around just tell lies. Do you have a favorite outfit from any of the specials? The, the first one was an accident. My brain damage. Those were chaps. Yeah. I, I had I had a designer, and I said, "Look, man, just do your own thing." I will never say that to. He came and handed me these two leggings. I said, "What is this?" Man, I made you some chaps. The bike shorts I have on because they used to wear all bike shorts, compressed yeah. shorts. Thank God I had them on. Yeah. And I put them on backwards. The pockets went the other way. So when we taped two shows, I couldn't turn the pants back around. Because you couldn't have the country. Yeah, so that outfit you wore on the first one, everybody was like, man, you crazy. I said, I ain't that crazy. That was an accident. But which is the one you actually liked? I think I like it too. Yeah, you like it. It's it, crazy. It, it's, it's at the beginning of who I am. We've talked a lot about your stand-up, but I, I, I wanted to just talk to you about certain of the acting roles and different things you did. Just to, um, So I'll throw out projects. You can say whatever the first memory that comes to mind. Uh, Good Burger? Good Burger was last minute. They called me. I just showed up. I had those clothes in my closet. I had that wig and those clothes in my closet. And I showed up. I said, I'll do it for you. House Guest? House Guest was, you know, an accident. House Guest was a script that was written. I was waiting for this, my 48-hour script. And Joe Roth said, this is it. Take it. So we rewrote, we, we rewrote that script. Each day I rewrote the script. And the young lady that wrote it would just look at it and mouth the words as I'm doing something else. She goes, what are you doing? I'm sorry. I just I gotta make it work for Sinbad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way was fun. It was my first one where it wasn't me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they didn't want me. It was Arnold's agent who was at the same agency I was at. I see him. He says, "He said Arnold, you gotta be with a big guy that's funny." And they let me come read. When I came to read, dude, I was supposed. To, I went to Bosnia on the same plane with with uh, um, Hillary Clinton. But I said, guys, I can't come read till Monday. It was a Friday. I said, well, I said, well, then cool. Don't use me. I don't care. I said, I'm not going to tell the, the troops I'm not coming. Yeah. So they waited. I, I, I came. Dude, I almost quit that day. I came to read for it. I had a pilt helmet on. I had the Melman outfit. I had the summer Melman outfit. And it was from, like, Minnesota. And I'm sitting there with my brother. This is so stupid. Why would I wear this crap? I said, I hate this business. I said, I quit. So I go in to read with Arnold. And the papers I saw I got were, blew out of my hands. The script blew out of my hands. So I just jumped on the table and started screaming at Arnold. And the, the people were sitting there looking at me. And when I left, I said, I quit. I said, I quit. I lost my <laughs> dignity in there. And then the phone call came. You got the part. Okay, maybe it's not that bad. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And that's how it worked. You worked with Phil. That was the second time you worked with Phil yeah. Harmon? Because I didn't have many scenes with yep. him in that one. House guests, we, we, we had scenes. We got to be some really cool stuff. Necessary Roughness? Necessary Roughness, man. That was, dude, that was just fun. That was just a athletic movie it was just fun it was it, it was crazy um i i took a cortisone shot in my knee because i wanted to be uh, do my own stunts and halfway through the movie the cortisone wore out and i was running on the field and i just turned to flip everything i was clowning i said i think my real knee came back yeah yeah always sunny in philadelphia 
Always Sunny, Accident Once Again. They wrote this script where I was in a mental institution and I'm cussing. And they go, he'll never do that. So it was a fantasy thing for them, I said. And one of the guys works, oh, no, Sinbad will do that. Y'all don't know him. Yeah. So when I show up on the set, everybody's there. Fred Savage is directing it. I use every cuss word known to man. He forgot to yell cut. I said, okay, can we? He said, you can't use all those words. I would just give me some variety <laughs> to pick from. It's funny because you're, I guess, known for not cursing. But, but I started cursing. This yeah. is the funny part. We talk about it. Yeah. I started off dirty. I cleaned it up one night just because my dad was in the audience. Some other people came. And this woman said to me, I'm so glad you're clean because I can't go see other comics. I'm like, dang it. I know I ain't going to be hip now. I'll never be. The clean comic is never the hip comic. Yeah. So now I said, I'll get enough other movies where I get to play other characters so they'll see both sides yeah. of me. But that just didn't happen. For some reason, with Hollywood, they couldn't see me other than this. But then they would have meetings with me and go like, oh, God, he's not the guy we think he is. So now I scared him. So I, it, couldn't, it couldn't work. Yeah. I was thinking about doing a tour where I did a clean show early and a dirty show late. I'm still, I don't, I don't know. I might you should still do, do it. it. I, I feel like everyone I, I would go to the dirty call, show. Simbad, no, what I say? Everybody will come. I'm gonna call it Simbad talking dirty after dark, and watch everybody show up. Yeah, of course. I think I like mean, people like children. If you just say the word "ass," he oh, ass. He's so deep. He's so deep. Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live was well, at that time was one of the highest rated specials, other than back when when, when John and all yeah. those guys were there. It was a uh, dude. I had. I, I'm surprised I've never been back. Yeah, I'm. I'm almost angry. I never got a chance to go back. It was, um, dude. It was fun. I had fun. Black Lightning was born on Saturday Night Live. Now the TV show is there, but Black Lightning was one of my favorite comic book characters. Yeah, and I got a chance to play him. I forgot that you were on Comedy Bang Bang. Yes. Do you know how that come together? That, no, somebody just called me about it, man. I didn't know what Comedy Bang. Then Reggie was there. Reggie Watson was there, man. It's it was fun. Comedy Bang Bang was fun. Yeah, because then they had you do the. The Michael Bolton's the Michael Bolton, the Valentine's dude. I showed up for that one. I just started talking crazy. And they were like, okay, just throw the script away. I was like on, on the phones. About to, it was just fun. Steven Universe? Steven Universe, man. I wish, you know what? I was on the road so much, and we had to come in and do voiceovers. I wish I could have timed it better so I could have done more of them. I think it became hard for them because I, I can't come in. I can't come in and do it. But I didn't realize how many people liked the Steven Universe. I said, if I could do it all over again, I said, let's find a way, even if I'm on the road, I, I can get equipment so I could still do it. Family Guy? Family Guy, you know, you know how those came about? They kept having a representation of me. <laughs> but the old representation with the old earrings. Yeah, yeah. So I was at a comedy festival somewhere, and Seth MacFarlane, they were doing a reading, and I showed up. I said, where's Seth at? I think he thought I came to fight him. And I walked in, and Mila was there. I said, look, man, if you're going to do me, can I do me? Yeah. Can I do my own voice? They're like, what? If you're going to do me, you got to upgrade the earrings, upgrade the hairstyle, and let me use my own voice. The Red Fox Show? Red Fox Show was, was my, my training ground, my first TV show when I got to L.A. to play his son. And uh, I got to L.A. I got to L.A. in September and auditioned for that the second week I got there and almost didn't get it because my audition sucked so bad. They took me upstairs. You know this is yours to lose. Are you about to lose this show? I said, what did I do wrong? Everything. So I had to, they had to show me how to act and do everything. Yeah. And then, uh, lastly, what's the first memory that comes to mind from a different world? Oh, different world? First memory is how I got the show. I wasn't on the show. I um, heard about the spinoff for a different world. I said, well, if I can warm the audience up, the studio audience up, Bill Cosby will see me and they'll put me on the show. So they were auditioning people to be audience warm-up people. I've never done one. I lied. Yeah. And so when they got me in a room, it was a guy named George Crosby was a producer on the show, about 6'8". And I'm just rattling off all these credits. And, and then I said I did Magnum P.I. He says, 
isn't that done a location away? I said, yeah, but up to this point, how good had I done? Yeah, yeah. And I said, thank you for talking to me. So I walked out. They said, he chased me in the hallway. He goes, Jesus Christ, you were doing so You just lied? I said, I'm lying. I just want to be on the show. So he gave me the job. So this last question is, so the first comedy show I ever went to was to see you in Las Vegas. Oh, cool, man. And the memory that I have is you asked the audience if there's anything they wanted you to talk about. Yeah. And someone said Iron Chef and you didn't know what it was. But so you then like sort of did a robot yeah. chef. So the question I've been wondering for now almost 20 years is, have you, do you know what Iron Chef is now? Not really. <laughs> I said, my wife watches all the cooking shows. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I don't understand a chef beating people up. I don't understand other chefs like, yes, sous chef, yes, parenting chef. And he's, I said, I have a knife. I will stab you. I've never understood a cooking show where they're scared of a chef. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great show. Iron Chef, so it's two chefs and they compete. They have the same signature ingredient. That they just like, oh, you have to make something with a steak or whatever, and then that's what it is. But I can't. I couldn't. Literally, I. It was the last one of the last things you did. And you're like, what's Iron Chef? I don't know what that is. And then you were like, a yeah, robot. I just go off on it. If I, if I don't know something, I do a thing. I, I want to do a show, but a podcast, but like a like a video podcast. I want to do it at a comedy club, but in a smaller room. Call I call bullshit. Yeah, where. It's every time I do it, nothing's from me. I want on the screen, things in the news, people like texting things to me or, or, or sending me things, social media the boards, like, what do you want to talk about? And I call bullshit on it when it's bullshit. And I like stuff that I don't know anything about. Yeah. So as I'm talking, I, I get questions. Somebody can throw a video up. And I want to show people that's how my brain works. And were, I've, I've always were you like reacting? As yeah, I'm reacting happened. to it, yeah. That was great. Thank <laughs> I, you so much. I, thank you. That was fun. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can listen to Sinbad's albums wherever you stream music, and you can watch a few on YouTube, HBO Go and Now, the Comedy Central app, or through Amazon or the Apple Store. Follow Sinbad on Twitter, at SinbadBad. Good One is produced by Mike Comite, with production help from Marissa Melnick, and research help from Matthew Silver. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please! And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. We'll be back soon with a new season and new jokes. Have a good one. That was a HeadGum Podcast.